Good morning. Good morning. Uh, today's reading is from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 30, and that's in, on page 978 on your Black Bibles. Therefore, having put away falsehood, they, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members, of, we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. This is God's word. We've been in a series on the book of Ephesians for the last couple of months. We're continuing this morning. We're going to work through verse 30 today. Before we do, let's pray. God, we now need your illuminating presence to see what uh, you would have us to see, to reveal your glorious truths, to show us again, to remind us again your great promises. You have given us your word that we may have life, that we may see you, know you, trust you, and walk in our newness. So would you help us to do that now by the work of the great spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So Christianity promises nothing less than whole life change. That's what we began to look at last week. Christianity promises nothing less than whole life change. And I don't mean just the change of your location where you live, the change of your career, or maybe the change of your boyfriend or girlfriend, though that might happen. It may happen. You never know. And I don't just mean that Christianity promises that you are going to change some of the things that you think about, your understanding. Or even just change some of your behaviors. Though it will mean both of those things. You'll change your understanding. You'll change some of your behaviors. Christianity promises something more. That when you are saved by the sheer grace of Christ, you become a new person. The Bible says that you become a new creation. A new creation. Think about that word. It harkens back to the very beginning of time. The creation of the world and the creation of humans themselves. For us, when we are saved by grace, we are created again. But this time, of course, it lasts forever. Our salvation goes on and on. We will not be lost again. This time to walk in the newness of life will continue. We will grow up in it. We are becoming new people. Christianity promises nothing less than whole life change. And this is so radical that I think that we can safely say that when you become a Christian, you gain a new identity and personality. You are changed from the inside out. You are transformed, renewed. You radically change. You are a radically new person. There's a story about St. Augustine, the old theologian in the 4th century. 
after he became a Christian, someone from his past came up to him on the street. And their intention was pretty obvious. They wanted to get him to come back into the old way of life, his former life. And they cried out, Augustine, Augustine, it's me, it's Claudia. And he replied, but it is no longer Augustine. Paul said it this way last week, if you remember. You are to put off your old self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. That is amazing. It is a beautiful, amazing reality. Through no work of your own, God in Christ has saved you. Through no work of your own, he has brought you back to life by creating you anew. Through no work of your own, God has set you on a path to become like him. Through no work of your own, your whole self, your personality and identity has been transformed and is being transformed. And then here's where you come into the picture. You are learning to walk in this newness. You are learning to put off the old self and put on the new self. And so this means something radical, that there is no part of you that is off limits from God. There is no part of ourselves that should or will remain the same. God has begun a work on us to restore us, rejuvenate us, and make us completely new. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. Give me all of you, God says. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want only a prune or branch here. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me. The whole outfit all your desires, all your wants, all your wishes and dreams. Turn them over to me. Give yourself to me and I will make you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. That is an amazing promise. So it should not surprise us that Paul would begin to unpack this for us, right? That after verse 24, he would go into 25. This is what whole life change looks like. How are we to walk in the newness of life? Well, this is how. And so he's going to tackle some things that maybe we don't want him to tackle. He's going to enter areas of our hearts that we have thought that we have conquered, but we have not. And so he will tackle truth. Anger, work, speech, forgiveness, and sexuality. But listen, this is not just going to be behavior modification. When he makes us new, we relate to these things totally differently now. We are new people. We are not just changing how we behave on the outside, but we are changing our very motivations to live rightly, to do good. To glorify him. And so here is going to be our guiding question as we walk through four or five of these this morning. How do we now think and live differently now that we are new creations in Christ? 
What does it look like to put on the new self? So let's just walk through this passage together just so you know we're going to make it to verse 30. We're not even going to get into forgiveness. That's next week. Going to get to verse 30 this morning, through verse 3 this morning. So here's the first thing I want you to see. To put on the new self means to relate to the truth differently. To put on the new self means to relate to the truth differently. Ephesians 4.25, this is what it says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, I just before we get into truth, I just want you to see the pattern here. He's going to do this over and over again. He's going to say one thing that you should not do. And then in response to that one thing you should do, and then he'll give you the reason why. This is what it looks like to live in the newness of our life as new creations. Putting on the new self means to not do one thing, do this other thing, and then change the reason why you do it. Change the very motivations for your heart. So this first one, again, is about the truth. It's about not speaking falsehood and speaking the truth. But it's not just about your words. It's about how we relate to the truth in general. Before we became Christians, it was perfectly fine to live around falsehoods. From time to time to lie. To lie about who we are. To lie about our circumstances. It was fine to believe and propagate lies, falsehoods, half-truths, as long as we never got caught, as long as it did something for us. I don't know how many times I called or I told my mom that I was sick on a school morning. That was helping me out. I wasn't really sick. Paul is saying, now things are different. Now what matters is putting away falsehoods and promoting the truth. Now, what do we mean by truth? That's getting harder and harder to define in our culture. I mean, and I think Paul means the objective truth. The truth that lies outside of us, that exists outside of us, that comes from God himself. And so, in other words, truth is not what we make, from, from make of it. We don't create it. Truth is not how we feel about things. Well, that's a, a good truth for you. No, it's either true or it's not. That's what Paul is saying. Truth is objective. There is such a thing as eternal, timeless, transcendent truth. And we know this because it stems from the person. It comes from the person of God. So there is objective truth. That's what he's talking about. That's how we relate to truth. But there's also this other thing. Now we bring that truth inside of our heart. Truth is not just to remain out there like scientific facts that we can understand. The truth of the world, the truth about God is meant to come inside of us and change us and affect us. Now this is so important because lies work in the same way, don't they? We like to think that lies just are out there. Falsehoods just remain outside of us. We speak them and they are gone. But that is not true. Falsehoods are creating things. They are creating reality. They affect us in the same way the truth of God affects us. And I think we can see that now in our country when we turn on the news. When the news starts talking about politics, I don't know what to think anymore. I was talking to Jay Batson about this this morning. I don't know what to believe. I can't make heads or tails of what is true and what is not true. 
can I trust politicians? I laugh as I say it. Can I trust the media that's describing what these politicians are doing? I don't know. I don't think so. And it's because so many falsehoods have come in and watered down the truth that is there. But that's, that's, not, that's not where we live, really, is it? So let's bring this into our lives, into our communities. What happens when the truth is undermined by lies in a church community? What is the impact of a body of Christ full of people who have little integrity? Whose commitment to the truth is limited? Who really care more about getting their ways, even if it means lying, than helping others? What happens when the church is full of people who refuse who are so afraid to speak the truth in love to their brothers and sisters in Christ? And we know what happens. Distrust, animosity, a fracturing of unity, and we don't grow. Here's the main problem, though. When this happens to us in a church community, when falsehoods enter in, We stop trusting God for who he is. Where lies fester, this is important, God fades. And we know this because this is what happened to bring this world to its knees so long ago. This happened in the Garden of Eden. So you remember when Adam and Eve are there and God is outlining what they can and can't do in the Garden of Eden. They could do everything except one thing, go eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These are your exact words. Do not eat of it, or you shall die. But then the serpent comes crawling in, right? And he says to them, is that really what God said? Are you sure? And Eve responded, we may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did you catch that? She added to the truth of God. He said merely, do not eat of this fruit, not do not touch it. She added a restriction. She made his command into a falsehood. This this falsehood affected her deeply. Changed, I think, the trajectory of the world. I think that what she was doing is that she was beginning to mistrust God, to distrust God. She made him out to be worse than he was. And it allowed her to believe the ultimate lie that God is not good and that he did not have her best interest at heart. Lies come into our communities and they affect us deeply. But what happens when we begin to walk out of the newness of our life? When we value truth differently, when we place importance on getting things right. Well, now we do not have to live for falsehoods. We don't have to believe or tell them. Before we used those things to cover up ourselves, right? Before we lied to stay well-liked, to stay rich, to stay guilt-free. But now that's changed. That's what Paul is saying. As new creations, your identity has changed. We are now free in the love of Christ. We do not need to be afraid of the truth, even if it is truth about us that we don't particularly like. 
We know that he is good, that he loves us. He has our best interest at heart. And now we can be confident to speak the truth in love and to receive the truth in love as well. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. One of the most formative times in my life was when I was in a, a kind of a, um, accountability triad. We called it a fight club. I don't know why. Anyway, it was great. And it was great because we didn't get together and talk about fantasy football or the weather. We just had an hour and we would open the Bible and we would read it to each other. We would try to understand it together. And then we would share, we would confess. And I don't know how many times I heard something like this, Ryan, you have sinned. This is a true sin. This is, you have confessed what is true. But though you have sinned, be reminded of the gospel. You were worse than you know, but now you are unconditionally loved by Jesus. I'll tell you what, to have that truth spoken to me from both sides, yes, this is the reality, but this is the new reality. That changed my life. That can change a community of God. To put on the new self means to relate to truth differently. Okay, we're going to keep on going. Here's the second thing. To put on the new self means to react to injustice differently. To react to injustice differently. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So I think that this is making us ask this question. How do we respond to justice? As Christians today, how do we respond to those wrongs that are done to us? Those wrongs that are done to others? Well, Paul gives the answer straight out. Be angry and do not sin. Hear that again. Be angry and do not sin. These are not mutually exclusive ideas and behaviors. He is blowing up a false dichotomy so many of us either believe or at least live out. Usually we believe one of two things. We believe the one side that all anger is sin. And anytime you are angry, you are sinning. Or we believe the other side. All of my anger is righteous. All of my anger is good. He's blowing that up. So look at the one side. All our anger is sin. Some people believe that. I, I just want everyone to be happy, we say. I don't want anyone to feel badly. I cannot get angry at them. I should never get angry at all. And if you do, I think that's a sin. That is not right. And it's not right because we are actually becoming like God in Christ, right? That is the whole point of our new creation-ness. That we are becoming like God and we know that God gets angry. And he ain't sinning when he does it. God gets angry at sin and injustice. He gets angry at the things that are destroying people. We must as well. We should get angry at sin and justice with our kids, in our workplaces, even with our friends. And we should never discount, discount or disallow the anger that is directed towards us. When we feel the righteous anger of another, man, that is so transformative. It changes us. What about the other side of the coin? Some of you may think or you may act as though all of your anger is righteous. It is always right. If I'm angry, then it's got to be something. There's got to be a good reason for it. Paul is saying, no way. There is an anger that is sinful. And sinful anger is destructive. 
It causes distrust, hurt feelings, alienation, emotional scarring. And this is the sort of anger that if you, that if you let it fester, if you, let it, if you nurse it, it will destroy you. Be angry and do not sin. That is how you walk in the newness of your life. So what does that mean? How can you be angry and not sin? I think that the answer comes at the end of verse 26 about the devil. The answer is don't be like him. Verse 26 again, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. If you read it in the King James, it says give no foothold. Don't let him get his foot in your soul. There is a type of anger that allows the devil into our lives. And I think it's the type of anger that follows his image and not God's. To live in the image of the devil, to live out his life, is to care only about yourself. That is really what sets the devil apart. He only cares about himself. He does not care about sin and injustice. As long as it's serving his own needs, he is happy. We can follow his image. We can follow his image into caring only about ourselves, and that is when anger runs amok. That is when anger pours over into sin. Sinful anger is only there to protect ourselves, or worse, to get back at the person for the wrong they have committed. Sin, in other words, listen to this closely, sin, sinful anger, never has the good of the other person in mind. But listen, once we take on Christ's image, his name, then we see the world differently and we relate and we react differently with anger. For our motivation in anger now is love. It is love. Our motivation for anger is to help. We get angry at sin and injustice. We get angry when people fall out of step with the gospel. Someone told me recently how they often deal with the sin of another. They say these words. I love you too much to let you get away with this. You must know how furious I am that you are doing this to yourself. And I'm not going to stand for it. Is your anger for others... Or is it for yourself? One way you can know is by seeing that amazing piece of advice right there in the middle. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now it doesn't say don't let the sun go down on your conflict. You might have conflict, and if you try to do this, especially if you're married, you're never going to sleep. Conflict is going to sometimes pour over into the next day. That's not what he's saying. He says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let your anger fade with the fading light. It does not last the day. You can let it go. Your anger has done its job. Now it's okay to move past it. It's short-lived. It's done its work. Don't hold on to it. But if we do, if we do hold on to it, if we stay angry, if we nurse it, then we know what the answer is. We know what what has happened to our anger. It has become more about getting vengeance. It has become more about making that person pay, about staying bitter. It is less about helping them to the truth. In the newness of life, we now respond differently to injustice. To put on the self means to react differently 
to injustice. Here's the, here's the third thing. To put on the new self means to work differently. Paul does not stop. He keeps on going. To put on the new self means to work differently. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so this is asking a question right now of us. Are we a thief? Am I a thief? And we must be careful. We cannot think of ourselves too highly. Have you ever downloaded something illegally? Have you ever fudged on your taxes? Have you ever cheated on a test? Have you ever withheld a piece of information just to get a better business deal? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work. Now, something that's interesting to me is that he's telling you not to do something and then to do something. So in a sense, it's the opposite. But he doesn't say that the opposite of stealing is not stealing. He doesn't say, stop, do do not be a thief any longer. Stop stealing. And so now you can stop stealing. No, the opposite is something different. He says the opposite is working hard. I think that we can say that any time that we are lazy, any time that we fail to do hard and honest work, we are stealing. But that is who you were before. Before you stole to provide for yourself. Before you stole to make your own life better. You stole to protect what I have earned. This is what I'm owed, God. But now you are becoming like Christ. And that means that your work has a new goal. It is to help others. You do not hold things for yourself. You give them away. And we know this because this is how Christ treated us, how he treated us on the cross. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you are becoming like Christ, then your work is not only honest, It's not only increasing in diligence, but the very reason that you do it has changed. You work for others. You give of yourself for others. We heard this morning from Lori Jane, from we know about Marlene, the the things that they have given for their ministry. If you get near them, they do not quit. They do not stop. And it is not for their own gain. This is not how they're going to get rich. They are there as a drink offering. They are pouring themselves out for others. May we do the same. May we live like them. May we be like Christ. Okay, here's the fourth thing. To put on the new self means to speak differently. To put on the new self means to speak differently. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What is the reality here? Our words can tear down. Our words can tear down what we have built. They can either create or they can destroy. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths. That word corrupting there in the Greek, do you know what it means? It means something close to, to putrid, to rottenness. When we speak, it is as though we are speaking out rottenness, 
putridness. It's a scientific fact that you know that if you put a bad apple with good apples, it actually makes those bad apples go bad faster. So our grandmothers were right. Right? And it's a scientific fact. Well, what do our words do? What do our words do? Our words have the same effect. Our rotten words can destroy community. Our gossip, complaining, our accusing, our profanity, our lies. They slowly erode relationships. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I remember when I went to Denny's with my grandmother. I was a kid, and we were just there together, and for some reason, the waitress that we had was just kind of awful. She was treating us really terribly. She was short. She was saying kind of cruel things as we were trying to order our food. She was trying to make us go faster. She was just rude. And my grandma was so awesome. She was bubbly. She wanted to get along with everyone, and so she just tried. But I was not happy. And so when she left our waitress, I said to my grandma, why is she like that? What is wrong with her? And it's amazing. My, my grandma didn't say, well, she was having a bad day or she's just a bad person. She said, you know, honey, she probably has a bad boss. Okay. And sure enough, that boss came out at some point. And everyone in that place knew it because he was loud and brash and cruel. Who knows the things that he said behind the scenes to his employees? And that whole place, it just felt off. Corrupting speech, talk, words brings decay. So how should we speak? Living in the newness of Christ, how should we speak? We do not speak with corrupting speech, but in a way that builds up. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We know this is right. Because we are becoming like God. When God speaks, He creates, He brings forth life. Is that what our speech does? When God speaks, He brings repentance. He brings people to His name. Is that what our speech does? When we open our mouths to speak to our children, will it build them up? When we go to level of criticism at our spouses, are we certain that it will work to encourage them? And we're hanging out with our buddies and we are tempted to tell that off-color joke. Are we convinced that it will be a grace to them? Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words should do that. They should stir up repentance. They should restore the brokenhearted. Our words should foster joy and happiness. Our words, the Bible says, should be a grace. Paul says it right there. They should be a grace. There is a type of speech that points to Jesus, not away from him. They remind us of the grace of Christ. There is a speech that makes us hope on him, love him, trust him, glory in him. How can your words be used to make people know and feel grace. To put on the new self means to speak differently. So we've hit four things so far. To put on the new self means to relate to the truth differently, react to injustice differently, work differently, speak differently. And here's the last one. To put on the new self means to care differently. 
to care differently. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, it's actually not totally clear why Paul added this right here. No, no commentator that I read really knows why he went from speech right into the Holy Spirit because then he just starts again with forgiveness and kindness and bitterness. He's falling out of that normal pattern, right, where it's don't do this, do this, and here's the reason why. And so I can only think that he feels like he needs to insert something there to bring us back to reality. Yes, don't do all of these things. Do all of these things. But remember who you are serving. Remember who you are serving. Remember that you do not just have a new nature, but that you have a new God, a new master. And it is a spirit who now lives, resides within you, the very spirit of God. When we were clothed with Christ, when we were given new life in him, we know that we were also granted the Holy Spirit. He came to us, and now he lives within us. And friends, we know that he loves us. How do we know that he loves us? Because he grieves over our sin. Friends, there is no other religion like this. Islam, Confucianism, Hinduism, they actually all teach these things, these principles at some level. Don't steal. Know the truth. Don't speak terrible things. But here we have something different. No other religion has as a fundamental motivation the God who resides within us, the God who grieves over our sin. Every time we speak a mistruth, every time our anger pours over into hate, every time we steal and fail to help others, every time our speech corrupts, the Spirit is saddened, dismayed, grieved, and He is grieved because He loves us. He wants what is best for us. He is grieved because he knows that our sin undermines the church. He is grieved because he knows that our sin spoils our witness to the world and to the gospel. This must make a difference now. We must know that we can wound the heart of God. But we should also know this. We should also know this. Be reminded of this. That if we can grieve the Spirit, we can also please Him. We can make Him happy. Can you imagine anything greater than, the, than knowing that the Spirit is smiling on your life? He is watching you, every single person here, put off the old self and put on the new self. Though He grieves our sin, He does not leave us. Though He is saddened when we turn from Him, He does not abandon us. He remains and will always be there. And then every time we take a new step, by his gracious help, into our newness, he smiles. He is happy. That is an amazing, amazing thing. Friends, we are promised whole life change, a change that will affect every part of our lives. And I say by his grace, for the glory of God, knowing that the Spirit is watching for our good, walk in the newness of life. Put on the new self for our joy, and for his. Let's pray.
even now the Spirit is speaking to us. You, Holy Spirit, are showing us again the gospel through Jesus Christ. Jesus said that you will come to point a spotlight onto Jesus, onto his work. And may we be reminded of that right now. That we who used to live in sin, we who were dead in our trespasses, have been made alive together with him. We have been clothed with his righteousness. We have been adopted by you, our Father. We have been given new, transformed hearts and minds, personalities, identities. He is reminding those things to us right now that we may change our lives, that we may continue in this transformation process and bring glory to your name. God, I know that as we went at some of these this morning, that people were were wounded, were hurt. They know that they have fallen short. And so I can pray only, God, that you would be an encouragement to them. That though they have fallen, that your grief is real, that they would know that you love them, that you are there providing for them, walking with them. God, for those who are trapped in sin, who have turned their hearts from you, who have begun to walk away, God, would they repent? Would they know the grief of your heart? Would they be reminded of the glory that they have been called to to walk in the newness of life? And would they rest? Would they hand over? Would they give their lives to you? God, this passage is really for the church. It's not just for individuals. It is so that the church may come together. And so I pray for this body. I pray for this community. We're all going to move at different paces. We're all at different maturity levels. I pray that you would continue to bring us up in a way that would do amazing things for this body and in this community. Would you change our, the way we respond and relate to truth? Would you change how we react to injustice? God, would you transform how we work, how we give? God, would you alter our very words, our speech? And lastly, would you make us mindful of the Spirit? He is at work and he is a great power on our behalf for your glory. We rest in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.